welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast, where our goal is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. We pray that you are blessed and encouraged by today's message and will allow the Word of God to dwell in you richly. Amen. Amen and amen. Happy Father's Day. I know we keep saying it, but we just want to let you dads know um, that we are incredibly appreciative of you uh, and all that you do for your families. Uh, So we pray that today is a special day. Sorry, y'all just got to give me uh, give me a quick second. Father's Day is always bittersweet for me. Um, Ten years ago, my daughter was born on Father's Day, and it was such a joy. Um, But my father passed away 11 years ago, and his birthday is always a couple of days before Father's Day. So it just always creeps up on you a little bit. I'm not, I'm not going to take too much time. Amen. All right. Um, excited to be here this morning. Let's continue on in our Greater Than series. We're in the book of Hebrews. Uh, last week, we uh, opened up by walking through chapter two, and now we're going to go back, if you can bear with me, go back to chapter one, where the pastor, the author of Hebrews, makes uh, an introduction. And so if you would meet me there in the book of Hebrews chapter one, Beginning at verse 1, we're going to read through verse 4. We got some people in the house today, so when you get there, say amen. If you need some more time, say hold on. Everybody's there, amen, amen. Why don't we stand for the reading of the word? Hebrews chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, I'm going to read it down to verse 4. Here's what the word of the Lord says. It says, long ago... God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. And in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God has appointed him heir of all things and made the universe through him. And the son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful Word And after making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. So he became superior to the angels, just as the name he inherited is more excellent than theirs. I just want to tag our text this morning. Just when you thought it couldn't get no better. Just when you thought it couldn't get no better. Let's pray. Father, we... Always thank you for the opportunity to come before your word, to find encouragement, to find hope, strength, instruction. But God, I'm I'm grateful for passages like this this morning because as we come before your word today, as much as we want to glean from it how to live in your world, your way, this, this text is about the supremacy of Jesus Christ. It's texts like this that cause us to stand back where the only thing we should be expecting to get out of it is an awe of God that drives us to deeper and deeper worship. So I'm I'm grateful this morning that we get to take an insightful look at what you say about your son. And so God, would you help us? Would you meet us today as we gather together collectively as one body? Even though we're scattered, one body, hearing your word, reading your word together, being instructed by it, encouraged by it, convicted by it, and all to the glory of the name of your son, Jesus Christ. And so we pray all of those things in his name, in his name alone. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Just when you thought it couldn't get no better. 
Now, a lot of people know this about me, so it's not, uh, I'm not, what I'm about to share is not new news. Um, but I, I, I love, I love, I mean, I, I love watching movies. I'm, I mean, I'm a, I'm a movie guy. I'm a movie buff. I love watching all kinds of movies, not even just a particular genre. It could be comedy, action, you know. The only type of movie that I typically stay away from are those romance period dramas. Y'all know the kind I'm talking about. Um, like Pride and Prejudice, right? I, I, don't, I don't watch that unless it's Pride and Prejudice Zombies. Now that was a dope movie. Um, but but, but I, I love movies, but the reason that I love watching movies is because I'm a sucker for good storytelling. Like I, I love good storytelling. Um, and and, and, and there's, there's a suspense that comes from not knowing what's going to happen next in a movie, right? Like I like being, like being put on the edge of my seat and watching a story unfold because there's an, a, there's an emotional investment that you gotta put into it, right? You, you, you've gotta emotionally put yourself into it if you really wanna get out of it at the end what, what you're hoping for it to be, right? Now sports are the same way. Like sports, sports are just non-scripted reality TV for men, right? But, but, but I, I love it because, again, even within sports, there is a story unfolding, right? Uh, but but my, my, wife, my wife hates the suspense. She, she hates it, right? And sometimes that works out for me because I don't always feel like waiting for her to watch movies. <laughs> Let's be real. It happens sometimes, right? Y'all can be honest in your marriage if you want to. Sometimes I just want to watch a movie and I won't have to wait for you to finish doing a million things. Like, I want to watch this now. Um, but because she hates suspense... Uh, one of the things that she'll do while we're watching a movie, baby, I know you're here. Please forgive me for putting you on blast like this, but it's all right. Um, we, we've been married long enough where I know you already forgave me. Amen, somebody. Uh, but, but one of the things she'll do while we're in the middle of watching a movie, while the story is unfolding, because of the suspense and the lack of the unknown, she'll look up the ending of the movie. That is, now, y'all know that's trifling. Y'all know that's trifling. And, and I'm telling you right now, if you are a wife that does that, shame on you. Shame on you. I, 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 I'm not going to tell a bunch of stories. There was this one time we was watching a series. I'm going to get on with the preaching, but I got to tell this because we, 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 we watching a show one time, and she, she, was so, she was so shook. It was bothering her so much. And I was like, fine, just go ahead and look it up. I'll, I'll find out what the ending is with you. So that way you won't be by yourself, right? So she goes, looks at the ending, tells me the ending. I'm like, oh, man, that, that would have been great. Now, I'm watching, you know, the story hasn't unfolded. We go watch the next season, and she got the nerve, the unmitigated gall to, to forget that she knew what the ending was. So I'm sitting here watching this TV show. We're watching this whole thing unfold, and I'm like, all right, I already know the ending. And the ending happens, and she's surprised. You got some nerve. I, I tell you, Father's Day, on Father's Day. <laughs> Got me upset all over again. But, 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 but I, I love watching how a story un, un, unfolds and then getting to the ending and the ending just hits. And y'all know, know what I'm talking about because there's nothing worse than, than putting emotional investment into a movie, sitting through two hours of a movie, and then the movie be dope and then you get to the end and the ending is trash. Like, like, like hot garbage. Right, you, you just feel like no matter how good the movie was, the mo movie could have been good for an hour and 55 minutes. If that last five minutes was terrible, the whole, uh, the whole movie was terrible. But that's, that's one of the things I, I love about, I love how a story unfolds and then when the ending just hits, it's just something about the experience of watching that story unfold and, and then watching the ending hit that just makes it, makes, it makes the rest of the story even more incredible, right? God's revelation in Jesus and his son, it's the, it's the same thing as that story that's been unfolding. Who's, by, by the time that you get to the ending, you realize that, that, that the ending ties together all of these pieces of the story that he's been putting together over the courses of centuries, over the courses of lifetimes. And you get to the ending and you realize who Jesus is and what he's accomplished and what he's done. And then it makes, the, it makes all of the rest of the story that's been unfolding just beautiful. Just, just beautiful. And I, and, I, and I feel like by the time that we get here 
in, in, in the book of Hebrews, the, the author, I love what he does because he takes a page out of, out of John's book, out of the, the Apostle John's book, and, and he, he doesn't even wait till the end of the book to let us know the argument he's making. He slaps it in front of our faces at the very beginning. Right now, he's writing to a Jewish audience. So can you imagine be, being part of that, that Jewish community, right? And, 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 and out of all of the nations of the world, all, of the, all, all the nations of the earth, you get to be the one to have an opportunity to be in relationship with the one true God. And, and you get his promises and, and his blessings. You get redemption from slavery. You get the law. You get the sacrificial system. You get land. And, 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 and you get all the things that make you feel uniquely close to God. And then on top of that, you get the promises of a coming Messiah from among your people who would establish Israel as the one ruling nation of the world. You, you, get, you get all of that. But, but what they should have seen coming in this unfolding story they failed to see coming in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so the, the author of Hebrews, the, the, the pastor, he has to begin to reorient their minds on what's important about the revelation that they've already received. Because by this time, Jesus has already come. And he's already lived and he's already died and he's already got up from the grave and they've already witnessed his presence in the flesh. And they've already, the church has already been established. But, but, but you know what happens? When we get real comfortable is, is we forget what the priorities are. And, and, and so, so here the pastor, he said, I, I want you to keep in mind that, that even though there have been a multitude of things that have been revealed to you from this unique, uh, unique relationship that you have with God, that the coming of the son takes the cake. The, the, the coming of the son is unlike all of the revelation that came before it. And so he, he, he begins to, to dive into this passage. And he says, he says, long ago, God spoke to the fathers by the prophets at different times and in different ways. Now, what, one of the things that we know is we know that he's, he's, he's writing this to a, a, a dispersed Jewish audience. And, and one of the reasons we know that is because he, he doesn't have to define terms for them. Right. Right. He like they he doesn't have to define who the fathers were and who the prophets were and, and the various times and seasons. They know already what he's talking about. Right. They know that he's talking about their ancestors, like from from Abraham up until now, that the, those who come from the Abrahamic line, those who who, who were who, who come from the descendants of those who were in the wilderness journey, who were freed from the land of Egypt. He's talking about those, those are the people that he's talking about. And he says, God spoke to our fathers in numerous different ways. He said God, God spoke to our fathers through the prophets. Now, he's not just limiting that to the, the minor and the, the major prophets of the Old Testament. He, he's talking about all of God's revelation from the beginning of creation through the time of Christ. Right. So he, he's talking about Samuel. He's talking about Moses. He's talking about David. Right. He's talking about the kings. He's talking about Jeremiah and Ezekiel and and Daniel and and all, all the other people whose for, whose story we see unfolding uh, uh, in, in the progression of what God is ultimately going to reveal in his son. It says you know, now he says that God spoke to the fathers. He he got God inserted himself in, in human history. Now, now, remember, if you're not if you're watching this and you're unfamiliar with the Bible story, you got to remember that, that God had relationship with the people that he created. But because there was sin, because there was rebellion against his ways, he said, man, y'all aren't worthy enough to be in my vicinity. We I, I, y'all can't be in relationship with me. So so guess what God did? God had to cut ties. And then God just decided out of his grace and out of his mercy to step into human history and say, I'm going to continue to commune with you, but I'm going to do it a particular way. And so he, he, he takes this little tiny old nation called Israel and, and makes them his own. And he says, I'm going to use you as my representatives in the world to communicate what I'm like to the rest of the world so that they can hear the message, they can see the distinction of your lives, and they can respond by my grace. And so, so God, God is doing this. And guess what it says? God is doing this at many times. Meaning, can you imagine that just the grace of God, the God who's been offended, the holy God who's perfect and, 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 and is right in every way, has been offended and, and cut off communication from you, and yet still 
He decides to communicate with you and the rest of humanity in many ways over many times. I mean, think about the span of time that exists. Just from Adam to Abraham. And then from Abraham to Moses. And then from Moses to Jesus. And think about, can, can you even think, just think about all the ways you see God communicating with man in the Old Testament. Right? He, 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 he communicates through commands and exhortations through stories and through visions and through dreams and through mighty acts and breathtaking theophanies and, 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 and even to Samuel, a still small voice in the middle of the night, right? Think about how many ways God has decided to communicate with humanity throughout the ages. And, 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 yet, and, and, yet, and yet he says it's in these last days when he communicates through his son. That, that's, that, that ties everything together. So he says, where, where those other communications, where those other revelations were fragmented and were just pieces of a story, he said, it's in the sun, in the coming of the sun, in the revelation of the sun, that we get to see the complete full picture tied together. It's in the coming of the sun that all of those fragmented stories are now weaved together into a beautiful tapestry that we get to see the whole picture from. He says, because when God spoke to them, by the prophets at many times and in various ways, in these last days, he's going to speak to us through his son. This, this, this last daysness of this revelation is revealing the fact that Jesus coming in the flesh was the climax of God's revelation. And, 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 and notice, notice the language here. He said all, all those revelations were done through the prophets, right? Right. That's a special. They had a special revelation. I mean, they had a special relationship with God as a prophet. God talks to you and then you get to communicate with the people. Right. That's why prophets were held in such high regard, because they had a they had a, a unique special relationship where they actually heard from God in a particular way and were mediators between God and the people where God told them what he wanted them to communicate to the people. But but guess what? When, when in this last day, he doesn't use prophets anymore. Guess who he uses? his son. If you thought the relationship with God was unique when it came to the prophets, imagine what it's like now when he actually uses his only son to deliver the message. He says that the emphasis here is on the uniqueness of the relationship of the one called Jesus with his father who relates to him as a son. There's a difference in relationship between somebody that I'm just telling to communicate my message and my son who I'm sending to communicate my message, right? This is, this is God's self-disclosure in his son, right? And, and when, he, when he brings up this fact that in the last days he's going to speak through his son, what he's doing is the preacher's calling to attention. He's calling attention to his listeners by building anticipation for the coming disclosure of what God has now said in his son. He's, he's setting up the rest of the book when he says in these last days he's spoken to the son because this group of people, they're already familiar with what God has said to the prophets. They're familiar with what God has said to the prophets through the fathers. But, but guess what? He, they, they've heard, right? We said this last week. They've heard the message of the gospel, but he's now setting up what he's going to flesh out in the rest of the book by saying, like, what God has revealed now in his son, I'm going to explain to you in a way to show you that he's supreme and, and has supremacy over every other revelation that you've already received. So everything that you think you know about God gets even more clarity when you understand who the son is. If, if you thought you were close to God through all of this ritualistic activities, guess what? You don't know what closeness means until you understand who the son is. But, but, but the other thing that he's doing, which I, which I love, is while, while he's comparing the revelation of the Old Testament through the prophets and comparing uh, that to this new revelation, not this new revelation, but this revelation through the son in these days, as, he's, as much as he's comparing and contrasting the supremacy of Jesus in the Revelation, he's also showing us the continuity that exists between the Old and the New Testament. Because he's, he's not saying that this Revelation is a different Revelation. He's just saying it's a more complete Revelation. 
This is the revelation that ties all things together, but it's not different because all the other revelations pointed you to the supremacy of this revelation. All of these other revelations were small pictures that you were supposed to look at and say, there's something greater coming. We, we heard about Daniel and this prophecy that there's, there's one that's going to sit on the throne forever. That means that there's one coming who's going to be greater than David. That we've heard it prophesied that there's one coming that's greater than Moses. Okay, then as great as Moses was in the trajectory of our history as Israel, then there's one coming that's greater than Moses. And so, so, so what he's saying here is even as much as there's continuity, these, these older revelations are pointing to the fact that this new revelation through the son Jesus is even greater than everything else. It's, it's like, it's, it's, if I could, if I could, if I could, uh, if I could explain, it, it would be like God's word through the prophets is like listening to somebody on the radio. But God's revelation through the son is like meeting them in person. You know, because when you, 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 you know, when you listen to somebody on, on the radio, you know, if you listen to them long enough, you, you think you have a good idea of what they're like. You know, by their, the sound of their voice, how they make arguments, right? Like they're, they're like they're, they're uh, you can hear the heightening of, you know, you just, just the things that you hear about people, you know, or, or, or experience people like long distance, right? But that's different than when you meet them in person. It's like, oh man, I, I didn't think you would look like that. You look different than the way you sound on TV or on the, on me, on the radio. It was like, man, I, I didn't realize, like, you're, you're a great person. On the radio, you seem like you're a jerk. But now that I've met you and I've been in close proximity with you and I'm face to face with you, there are things about you that I would have never known just by listening to you from a distance. That's what it's been like for us, for the people. As we've been listening to God from a distance. Even though he's made himself near through the prophets, it, it, when you contrast to what it's, what it's like to know God through his son, it's almost like you ain't known God at all. He says, he says, verse 2, look what he, look what he says. He says, these last days he's, he's spoken to us by his son. But then he says, he says this, this son, right, this son, God has appointed him heir of all things. Right. That, 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 that he's he's making an allusion to Psalm chapter two, verse eight, which is which is tied to the promise that's given to universal dominion of David's heir. And Psalm chapter two, verse eight says, it says, ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. And, and he 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 he. He, he double, like he double dips on this. He, he, put, he double dips on this in verse five, which we're, we're not going to spend a lot of time on verse five today because we're just going to verse four. But in verse five, he quotes Psalm chapter two, verse seven. Again, we're affirming the, the unique relationship that the son has with the father. And so from, from this text in Psalm chapter two, verse eight, he's saying that, that this Davidic text that the psalmist wrote is talking about this son. And, and while it's talking about the, the Davidic son having heir or, or having dominion or being given a possession of an inheritance, here he's saying that, that that one that we're waiting for from David's line that ultimately will have universal dominion and power, it's, it's this Jesus, this son who is now heir, who has, who has, who, who's, who has rightful soul claim to the authority and the power and the dominion that belongs to God. But, but not only that, he says, not only does he say that, that, that God appointed him heir of all things, but he also says that, that he made the universe through him. Right now, now I, 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 love, I, love, I love this because this isn't the only place where we see Jesus being talked about as one who is creator. Right. We see that in later on in verse 10, the, the pastor quotes from uh, Psalm 102 and he says, in the beginning, Lord, you established the earth and the heavens are the works of your hands. In John chapter one, verse three, what does he say? He says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God and that there was nothing made that was not made through him. There's absolutely nothing that's been made. That wasn't made through him. And then Paul in Colossians says the same thing where he says that, that everything was created through him. And then it says that it was created for him and by him. 
So not only did he create it, but it belongs to him. Now, now this, this is one of the things that points to the fact that this son who has come as the final revelation of God is more supreme. Because who else in God's revelation would participate in creation? Who? Who? Right? Like, like, like and the, the beautiful thing, man, it's not, not, only was, not, not only was the son present in the beginning, but he stuck his hands into the corridors of nothing and brought something forward. Because everything was made through him. Now, now I, I love, how, I love how, how the author here makes a distinction between the role of the father and that of the son, uh, and yet both are included in the work of creation. And so he affirms the father as the source of the created order and the son as the father's agent in the creative process, meaning that the son to whom all creation will be subjected in the end is he through whom it originated in the beginning. What, what we need to know about this is that like, what, what the author's point is, what the pastor's point is that he's making, is that only God creates. So if the son is involved in creating, what does that say about the son? Nobody else gets credit for creating anything. Now, guess what? You can put stuff together. You can put stuff together real good. You can use some nails, a hammer. You can put a table together. You can carve out rock and all this type of stuff. But guess what you're not doing? That's not creative. You taking stuff that already exists and just making something else with it. He's saying, no, 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 we, we're not talking about having a creative mindset where you take stuff that exists and repurpose it. I'm talking about the type of creation that has nothing in mind and thinks it up and brings it into existence. So he says, now, now, if the son does that, <laughs> if, if the son can do that, what does that say about the son? It says what we're going to get to uh, uh, in a second. It, it says that there is both uniqueness and distinction between the father and the son. There is something the same about them and there's something different about them. Man, y'all about to get me excited. Even now in Hebrews, he does not mention the word Trinity, but it's all throughout this passage. Because there are only qualifications that exist that God can have. Those are called incommunicable attributes. And here, he's designating certain attributes that belong to the Son that can only belong to God, which means that the Son can only be God. But look, look, look what he says. He says, verse 3, he says, the Son, now, now, now he says it blatantly. See, before he just kind of says, like, if you, can, if you can go one plus one equals two, then you would get that if he created all things, you would know that he's God. But just in case you still don't want to believe, look at verse three. He says the sun is the radiance, the, the radiance, the, the splendor of, the, of, of God's glory. And, and, and what he say? He says, and the exact expression or representation or imprint of God's nature. He says, he says, he says the, the same nature that God the Father has, Jesus has. It's the same nature that God has, Jesus has. Because in order to create he had to have been there since the beginning. And, 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 and if he was there since the beginning and created everything, like everything was made through him, like doesn't that give him the right to become heir of all things? Because the all things refers to creation. And he already existed before there were all things, which means that if he made the all things, they already belong to him. But he says he's the, he's the radiance of God's glory. 
and the exact representation of his nature. I, li I like this word exact representation because it was, it was used for the impression left by a seal. Like you know how you, you know how you, how you, you know, if you, if you go to uh, a library, right, um, and they put a seal on the book so that you know who it belongs to, right? Now on the seal, there's an image. And once you press that seal down on the paper, guess what you see? The same image. It's identical, right? You could say the same thing about a coin. Coins are made in a press, right? Down, down, down where they make money at, right? Now, once you press that image, that impression down onto the coin, guess what? Now, when you look at the coin, it looks exactly like the, the seal that they used to make the impression with. It lets you know that in essence and in nature, the father and the son are the same. And yet they are distinct because the son is not the father and the father is not the son, but they are the same in essence and in nature. It sees that even in verse, even in verse two, we see the distinction because he says that God appointed him. Right. God appointed him heir. God's not appointing himself heir and the son is not making himself heir. He's a, he's subordinated himself purposely to the father's will as he becomes heir based on the, the father's directives. But yet they have the same nature, the same essence. The son is the expression of God. He is the very imprint of his nature that, 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 that the son provides a true and trustworthy picture of the person of the father. That's why John writes that you haven't seen the father until you've seen the son. Because Jesus is the only one who gives a clear picture of who the Father is. That's what makes him better. That's what makes him supreme. Because the other revelations, they point to God. But they don't give you a clear picture of what he's like, like Jesus does. Jesus coming in the flesh. That's why, man, that, that, man, that John, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And then down, you jump down to 18. He said, man, listen, I, I tell you, y'all got to go read your Bible. Uh, he says, he says he's the exact expression of his nature, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This, this talks about what, what the son actually does as universal heir and agent of creation, that not only did he create everything, like not everything was made, not, not only was everything made by him, and for him, but, but this son also sustains everything that was created in a continual organizational uh, strategy that carries forward creation until God's intended goal. But, did, are y'all listening to me this morning? Listen, not, not only did God create it, but he makes sure that from the beginning of time until the end of time, it completes what he was created for. That whatever God, whatever the God intended goal of that thing that was created is supposed to be moving towards, guess what? By the power of his word, Jesus makes sure it gets there. That, that means that he's always sovereignly in control. That means that there, there is nothing that happens in the course of creation that does not happen unless Jesus allows it. Do you know how, do, do you know how, Do, do you know how comforting that is to know that Jesus is in complete control? I don't think y'all know. Because I, I hear us complaining all the time. I hear us complaining about the, 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 the light we missed that made us late to work. Because you got up late. I, I, you, I, 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 uh, but, but do you know how comforting it is to know that, listen, Romans chapter 8, that, that all things work together for good of those that love him and are called according to his purpose, that, that he did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us. This is the God that we're talking about, and he has everything in control, and you worried? It's comforting. 
It's comforting. That's, that's just a little side note. But, but, but look, look what happens next. Look what happens next. It says now, now th- this is what the sun is still doing, right? We see that the sun is, it was appointed heir of all things. It's made uh, the universe through him. He's the, the radiance of the glory of God, the exact expression or imprint representation of his nature and sustains creation through his powerful word. Look what it says at the end of verse three. It says, now after making purifications for sin, stop right there. Now, purifications was an act of ritual cleansing that provides inner cleansing from the pollution and dominion of sin and consequent removal of the barrier that separates humanity from God. What what that means is that God had instituted a, a bunch of rituals in the Old Testament through the law that helped to make sure that the people were aware of what they were like before they came into his presence. Because you can't just come before the presence of God any old type of way. Now, you might think that you haven't sinned, but you just not being God is enough to not warrant being in his presence. And so there were there were I'm, and I'm talking about like just natural things like like, you know, like if if you if you like knew your wife one evening, guess what you had to do? There was a certain period that you couldn't come before God. But because because what you did in his eyes it, now, it ain't nasty. Bless God. Hallelujah. Some of y'all need to be doing it more. But 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 it there there was a there was a certain purification process that existed to let you know, again, that I need to wash myself. See, and the external washing was a symbol of what needed to transpire internally in your heart because you were already separated from him. And so we have to understand that the purification process that God made the people go through was not for him. It was for you. He didn't need you to be purified. You needed to be purified because if you had the audacity to step in his presence and you weren't purified, if you weren't cleansed, if you weren't washed, you, you, could you imagine what happens? I mean, you, you, you know some of the stories, right? Right? You said that God spoke to the, to the fathers through the prophets, right? Y'all, y'all remember what, what happened to my man who reached out when, when, uh, when the Ark of the Covenant was about to fall? He thought he was helping God out. But, but guess what? He, 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 he took pride in the fact that he thought he could help God, that God needed his help. And he reached out thinking he was going to catch it. And God said, oh, you, 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 thought, <laughs> you thought I needed you, didn't you? And said, in that split second, you didn't even think about the fact that you weren't clean. Right. Y'all remember that old John P. Key song? Won't he make you clean inside? Now, now, listen, now, 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 even through that, notice the grace of God. Notice the grace of God in those old purification rituals that he allowed something symbolic. Give you access to him because none of those things really made you clean. None of those things really made you clean. It just gave you a heightened awareness that you weren't. Listen, listen. The, the, be- the beautiful, it says, it says, the son, after making purification of sins, right? That unlike previous sacrificial offerings, what the son has provided was a forgiveness that would be permanent and lead into the very presence of God. When Jesus died on the cross, he did something that no grain offering, no free will offering, no, no atonement sacrifice, that none of those things could ever accomplish. He actually made you clean. That's why, that's why later on, that's why later on uh, in, in the book of Hebrews, he, he tells us to what? He says, Come before the throne of God boldly. You couldn't do that before. You want to know how I know? Because they used to tie a string to your ankle. If you got to get a, a string tied to your ankle before you go in there to meet with God, just in case you fall down dead, I don't know how bold you think you're going in. If going in might make you die. And guess what? Now he says, come boldly because you've been given access. And you haven't been given access because of something you did. You've been given access because he made purification on your behalf. Where, where you weren't clean, he became clean for you. 
Right? That's why I, I, I love, we're going to get into this too, because he talks about how Jesus makes the once for all sacrifice. That the priests don't have to stand up there making petitions for the people all day long, year after year after year. He said, he did on the cross in three hours. But then it says, then it says, after he made, he, he made purification, says, and after he made purification of sins, for, for sins, guess what he did? He sat down. He sat down. Now, don't, don't mistake what I'm saying now. He didn't sit down because he was finished. Right? He didn't, he didn't sit down because he was tired. He sat down because he had earned the right to. What the pastor is doing here is he's, he's, making, he's making an allusion to Psalm chapter 110, verse 1. Now, now, mind you, Psalm chapter 110 is the most quoted passage of Scripture in the New Testament. Like, like it's, the, it's, the, it's the most quoted Old Testament Scripture in the New Testament, Psalm 110, you need to read it. It's a messianic psalm. It's beautiful, right? But, but, but what, he, what it says is, it says, And the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And, and so what Jesus did when he died on the cross, because he had lived a perfect life and died a perfect death and then rose from the grave, is that gave him the right to sit down at the throne of God at God's right hand. Now, now, notice, this is not a second throne. There's one throne, and he's sitting down on the one throne of God at the place of power, at the place of honor, at the place of authority, uh, because of what he accomplished in his humanity. Because we, we see already the Son, in, in his divine essence, has already been supreme. But when he wrapped himself on flesh... There was something that he had to do. That's why, that's why the Bible says that, 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 that through his obedience, he earned the right. Right? Like, like here it says, it says and, and he sat down at the right hand of majesty on, 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 on high. Right? It says that, that the, the, the right hand is the place of ultimate authority where the son shares God's power without limitations. Right? That, 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 that the son, the creator of the universe... Um, and the heir to all things, uh, that, that now he has been exalted to an exceptional position of authority and, and, and honor. And so, so what, what happens is that verse 3 now describes what the Son has always been from eternity, which is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, right? And verse 4 goes to describe what he became when he sat down at God's right hand, which was more superior to the angels with a name that was more excellent than theirs. It says, how, well, 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 verse 4, right? Verse 4 says, it says, so he became superior. But how can the agent of creation, who is the radiance of God's glory, become greater than the angels? Right? And, 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 and chapter 2, if you look down to chapter 2, verses 5 through 18, it, it makes clear uh, what, what, what is being talked about, what's being anticipated from these verses, that through his incarnation, his death and exaltation, the eternal son became the fully adequate savior of his people. And the angels have no such salvific function. Thus, he who was superior to them as eternal son became superior to them in a new way when he procured human salvation. And so when he, when he sat down at, at the right hand, though he was son from eternity, though he was supreme from eternity, because he now had two natures, because he now was the son, the God-man wrapped in flesh, he had to procure salvation in order, in, in order for him and his humanity to earn the right to be seated next to God, to have a name that was more excellent 
than theirs. But, but, but the, the pastor here, he uses that word superior. He loves this word uh, superior, right, as he draws attention to the preeminence of Christ and, and this new covenant that's been established through his death, right? He talks about a superior, peace, a superior priest and a, a superior hope and, and the son's superior covenant and the superior promises and a superior sacrifice, a superior possession, a superior country and resurrection and a superior privilege because he, he keeps using this word throughout the book because he wants you to know that, that Jesus ain't just nobody. Jesus is superior to everything that we've talked about up until this point. Every single way that God has revealed himself to his people, Jesus is superior. It says he inherited a name that was superior or greater to theirs, right? That he, he's the one who deserves worship. He has a, a throne and a scepter. He has been anointed as king. He made the heavens and the earth and has been exalted at the right hand of God. What the son inherited was the title, the name, which is formally reserved for God. When they talk about the name, when they say the title, the name, it's, it's, it's reserved for God. So again, he's, he's linking the activity of the son and what's been accomplished by the son to, to God the Father. Right? That's, why, that's why Paul can write in Philippians chapter 2, for this reason, God has highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name. Now, he says for this reason, what is he pointing to? Well, he's pointing to what he just said earlier, which was because he emptied himself. He did not count humility or count uh, equality with God a thing to be grasped, but, but, but uh, ganeod and emptied himself, right, of his attributes. He says for this reason, it died the death of a cross. But for this reason, he has a name that's above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Right. And so the, the, one, one of, one of the, the things as I, as I close, one of the things that the, the pastor here is, is trying to get us to understand is as important as the message is. Because the message is, is ultimately, it's, 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 it's of grave importance. As important as the message is, sometimes the messenger can be more important. Y'all know what I'm talking like, about. Somebody, somebody, sometimes somebody can tell you something that's true, but because you don't trust them, the message you lose is value. Because, somebody can tell you something, but, but if you don't know them, the message doesn't carry the same weight. And so, and so God has been revealing himself throughout the course of human history to all of these flawed individuals, to all of these people that even though they've had good intentions have done some trifling things, even though they've communicated the truthfulness of God's message, their entire life has not been pure and honest and truthful. And so here we see, he's, he's letting us know, he says, yes, all, God, God's been revealing himself and it's been the same message but, but there's something different about the messenger that you have to zoom lens in on. Because Jesus is greater than the prophets. Jesus was greater than the priests. He was greater than the kings. And, and as, we, as we dive into the rest of this book, I just want you to keep in mind that, that Jesus is greater than everything. He's greater than everything. And so, so as, as we look at texts like this, these are the type of texts that should call, cause us to stand back in awe of who God is and who his son is and what was accomplished when his son went to the cross in our place and got up from the grave in our place so that we could experience the invitation of new life with God the Father. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your son. God, we pray that we would hold Jesus Christ in such high regard that he would be more than us, for us than anything. If we're honest, there have been plenty of times in our lives, oh God, where Jesus has not had the place of primacy in our lives. He has not had our full attention. And so God, I, I, I pray that, that as we look at your word, God, we would be reminded 
not only how great he is, but that he fully paid a debt that we would never be able to repay. And because he's been the son since eternity, the creator of all things, it gives him the right to be superior. It gives him the right to have a name that's above every name. And that we should be reminded, oh God, that there's going to be a day that comes as Paul writes in Philippians chapter 2, that every knee will bow. And so my prayer, God, is that, that like the pastor, as he writes in Hebrews, that we would be a people who endure to the end so that when we bow our knee, it will not be by force, but it will be because we love God. We've accepted his word. We've relied wholly on him for our salvation. And we've put our trust and confidence in him till the very end. Would you get the glory out of our lives, oh God, we pray today. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Amen. Now is the time where we get to reflect upon that beautiful message that Jesus came and died uh, on the cross as the nails pierced his hands and his feet and the spear pierced his side. And he calls us to remember his death his burial and his resurrection. And he says that this bread that we have represents his broken body that was broken for us. Let's take and eat it. And afterwards he took the drink and said, this is my blood, which represents the, the sins, your sins that were purified on the cross that give you now access to God the Father. He says, as often as you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. Family, we just want to thank you for joining us again for another Sunday. We pray God's blessings upon you, God's grace upon you. And again, we just want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Grace and peace. We love you. We'll see you next week. Hello, this is Dr. Eric Mason, founder of Pastor of Epiphany Fellowship. Thank you for tuning in today. Hopefully the word of God was a blessing to you. Also, if you want to help us build the kingdom from Philly and beyond, particularly in inner cities, partner with us today. And if you don't know Jesus as Savior, based on his death, burial, and resurrection, place your confidence in him and go from spiritual death to spiritual life. Tune in next time so we can see you go from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. God bless you. Take care. We love you.